All right, thank you so much for tuning in to Forward Thinking Founders. This is the podcast where we highlight undiscovered talent. We're scanning Y Combinator, Pioneer, Product Hunt, Twitter, Indie Hackers, all these different networks to find really interesting founders and interesting projects and startups, and we feature them on the podcast before you've probably heard of any of them. And what's great about this is you get to follow along on their journey as they become more and more successful and say, I knew them when. So thank you so much for tuning in to Forward Thinking Founders, and let's get into our next founder you haven't heard of, but you will. All right, how's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we're talking to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I'm very excited to be talking to Brooke Sinclair, who is the founder and CEO of Velour Imports. Brooke, welcome to the show. How's it going? Hi, thank you for having me. It's going pretty well. Uh, we're surviving well here in Houston. That is, that's good. I'm glad things are going well. They're going pretty well over here in Phoenix. It is week three working from home and I do, I do like it. I, I am a fan. So we'll see what happens after this is all over. I hope it stays. I, the roads, the traffic, everything is so much better. The, there is going to be, I am interested to see the upside. Oh, I mean, right now there's a lot of carnage and horrible things that are happening. People are dying. People are losing their jobs. It's it's not fun to see. Oh, it's not that but bad. I do think, you know, when it's all done and, you know, a year from now, two years from now, hopefully like six months from now, like when it's all in the past, we will see some beautiful things come from it as well, which only we can only hope for. But this um, this podcast is not about what's going on in the <laughs> macro environment. It is about it's very very micro, focused on what you are doing um, with yeah. your company. So for those that don't know, can you please dive into what you're working on? Yes. So Valor Imports, we pride ourselves on being the Uber Eats of wholesale. So we're an on-demand online delivery platform for the commercial industry in Latin America. Um, similar to the concept of Uber Eats, Latin American distributors and luxury resorts would be able to shop a digital menu of suppliers, craft brewers, distilleries, um, and independently owned manufacturers in our network. And they'll be able to order whole pallets of craft beer, wine, cider, and spirits. Um, we then ship it directly from the manufacturer, and then they will be able to watch their orders arrive on their smartphone or web device, just like Uber Eats. Okay, so you're going to have to educate me a little bit about how this world works, because I I don't know much about delivery, like mass supply, things like that. So, so a couple of questions, just to make sure I understand. So People that are on this are ordering wholesale, meaning they get the, the, can you actually explain um, what wholesale means? Obviously, I think a lot of people listening know, but, but in addition, what does wholesale mean to people that are selling? Like, can you just talk about the supply chain a little bit? Sure, sure. So in this case, uh, wholesale means that the product is going to be resold. You ever notice how sometimes you'll you'll buy a product and it says not for individual resale on it? Um, so these are products that are specifically bought by a company. So we're a B2B. And then that company then in turn is going to sell them directly to the consumer. So maybe a luxury resort, a gourmet retailer, 
or um, an online distribution platform for it that's in South America. Got it. Um, that's awesome. And I'm on your I'm on your website, and it looks like you have some really cool brands that that you work with. Um, at least as some suppliers. I mean, so can you kind of give me an idea on how do you pick who to work with? I mean, and can you kind of go into some of the brands and the suppliers that you're working with? Because I'm I'm scrolling in your website, and there's some pretty cool ones. Would love to hear why these types of suppliers and how do you pick suppliers. Uh, you know, we've been really blessed to be able to utilize all of the technology that's afforded to us. So Instagram and Twitter have been uh, monumental in helping us recruit and get introductions to brands that we may not have ordinarily been able to get along with or get in touch with. So I'm really proud of to have uh, Knee Deep Brewing out of California, Mason Ale Works, um aspen brewing company they're the tallest or the they have the highest elevation craft brewery at the highest elevation in the rocky mountains uh church street brewing uh working with a little bit with abita down in new orleans and uh just a number of of manufacturers that are set to come online with us in the next year or two so I'd love to learn a little bit about how this world works. So these are suppliers that are, that are making beverages and they obviously are trying to sell them so they can, so they can make money, pay their people and make some profit. Are they, um, are they looking for any specific, um, the company like yours to help them get distribution or on the flip side, what do you look for in a supplier to work with them? Or is it kind of like a marketplace? I guess like what, how do you know it's a perfect partnership when you come across one of these brands or is everyone perfect? It just depends on like budget and stuff like that. Nope. Um, <laughs> so first of all, there are over 7,000 craft breweries in within the United States as of today. So we don't necessarily have a problem as far as lack of supply our issue is qualifying the suppliers that are there. So we need to make sure we have a dis, uh, an initial, so far it's been uh, still an analog method um, as far as asking what sort of uh, storage tanks they have, what sort of operational capacity they're currently running at. If they're already running to full capacity, uh, meaning like the brim is always full when they're making a new batch, then that may not be of manufacturer that might fit into us. Also, uh, with Latin America, there is a heavy VAT sales tax on alcohol and, and spirits. So we have to make sure that any product we bring into our portfolio meets a certain price point and then um, still leaves enough room for us to add our markup and our margin. Um, and then sell to the customer, to the buyer at a set price that, that, that there's still enough uh, room for the luxury resort to still get their cut. So that's why when you go to a luxury resort, like in the Caribbean or Poconos or somewhere fancy, and you have a craft beer and it's, you know, eight to $12, that's why. So that makes sense. And I want to focus on the buyer side now. So you, you um, have all these suppliers, you then have buyers um, that 
that buy from you. And then, you know, it's just this, this whole supply chain. What is a type of, what, what's like a persona of a buyer or a couple of personas? Um, like you mentioned resorts, are they mainly resorts? Are they, you know, I, I don't even know. I'd love to hear just a little bit about the buyer side. Sure. Yeah. Um, so we've had some really oppor- awesome, awesome opportunities to work with the Grand Hyatt Bahamar and the Bahamas, the Four Seasons in St. Kitts and Neves, and uh, the Hilton Trinidad. Um, so we're looking to, now that we have that uh, initial market demand confirmed and proof of, of concept, we're ready to scale and build out to the additional 500 luxury resorts that are just within the Caribbean alone. Um, and then from there, what was the second half of your question? Well, you actually just an- you answered my question. You're, oh. I was mainly just wondering the category of buyers, and it's, it was resorts. It, 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 it's ultimately resorts. So you... Uh, but, oh, yeah. And uh, sorry, didn't mean to cut you off. No, you're good. Um, Go for online, it. Online distribution platform. So that's, that's actually a newer category that's actually uh, risen and increased in the last five to six years. Um, so there's a lot more online uh, beer box programs like Beer Month of the or Beer Club of the Month. No, that's backwards. You know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and there's a lot more online uh, direct-to-consumer portals. So uh, we can sell to them for wholesale, and uh, it's much easier. It goes directly to the client. So I would love to hear this, uh, the story of how you got that first customer, that first buyer to give you a shot. Um, or the first like 10, like just in the first category of ones, just because I know that now, you know, you have an impressive website, you're, you're rolling, you're looking to expand, you know, I'm sure obviously you're, you're having struggles like any, any company, but you're off the ground. But there was one point where you literally had to push it off the ground. You have to pick a, take the boulder and lift it up with your two hands. So yes. how did you convince the first buyer among the first buyers to, to trust you and work with you? And also, how does that, if you're open to sharing, how does that work? Do they like give you an advance, then you supply them? Is it transactional? How did that work in the beginning? And has it changed it all over time? Yeah, actually, I'll start with the second half first. So uh, the transaction in an analog capacity used to be that a person like myself would make an agreement with a buyer, with a luxury resort, and we would agree upon net 60 or net 90 payment terms. Um, So then I would find a way to buy it. We would buy it from the supplier, ship it, and then wait the 60 to 90 days. So finding out how slow and how irritating that process is starting to become, listening to my customers when they're talking about like, oh, it would be so much easier if we had a a digital platform that we could just look at. Oh, it would be so much easier if we could just, you know, sign up our ACH through a online portal um, and so we listened to what they were, what sort of feedback they were giving. So that's why we, in 2019, we made the transition from analog to digital. So we'll be the first platform of this nature to come from America. 
there's a few other platforms out of Europe that are doing quite well. And so we're looking forward to represent the USA. Yeah, that's awesome. How do you, so if you moved over from analog to digital or you've expanded, are you a, would you, would you consider yourself like a typical startup? Like, are you venture backed? Do you plan on being venture backed? Is it bootstrapped? How do you just, how do you kind of think about that category of stuff and capitalizing it? um, If not just your own revenue. Yeah, we're definitely looking for, we're definitely open to our first uh, institutional round. So thus far in the beginning, I bootstrapped uh, with my personal savings and uh, coming from a nonprofit world at that time, it wasn't a huge amount of savings, but I was able to use my nonprofit skills and background to get, ooh, excuse me, three uses out of every $1. So you make a dollar out of 15 cents and then you get three uses out of every $1. You just stretch it as far as you can. Um, then self-finance through personal debt and uh Friends and families have contributed a little over $100,000. Uh, and so now we're looking to bring on our first institutional investor. That's yeah. really exciting. Um, it's, uh, it's cool to hear th- another story of someone that didn't just start off the bat with capital. Uh, you, you've, been, you've been grinding. And uh, although the the company I used to work on, um, I started the same way. It didn't end up super well because of my own mistakes uh, as a as a very young founder. But like, uh, if you can start on credit cards or start with friends and family or start, just start like you start without just VC in the beginning, positions you so much better later when you do want to raise. I'm curious. Um, I want to stick around here for a little bit. Then I have a couple other questions, and then we'll call it a wrap. How, how do you think about um, how do you think about venture capital and and raising it? Um, it? You know, for so long you've been doing it bootstrapped and friends and family. Um, do you do you, I guess do you know do you have a plan to like raise it or are you do are you trying to learn more about it? I guess where are you with venture capital? Because I'd love to like I don't know see if I can help if I can. Yeah, thank you. I I definitely am open to any and all help. Um, actually, you know, uh, I did not, about this time last year, I really didn't know much about venture capital except what I could read through Google and uh, Y Combinator medium posts and things like that. Um, but then I did the preceded, I did the Founders Institute Preceed Accelerator, um, just graduated from Founder Gym, which is another uh, intense six week training program specifically geared toward the underrepresented founders and underrepresented VCs. So I've spent a lot of time uh, really delving into the the mind frame of how to approach a VC and understanding their uh, hierarchy of answering to their LP. And to, you know, right now, it's such a weird time with the, the situation, the way it is with health. Uh, right before this anomaly, um, you know, it was, it was kind of rugged uh, finding somebody who could, has an open mind to new creative ideas and innovations um, is not as easy as you would think. You would think most investors would just be like, oh, that's an idea I've never heard before. Let me jump on it. 
but actually if it's an idea they've never heard before then they're a little less likely to want to jump on it they want something they say they want their next airbnb but when the next airbnb shows up they're like uh what what do you like that i can relate this to and i can feel comfortable giving you my money <laughs> so <laughs> yeah that's so funny it's, it's something that the it's f- funny and 100% true from my experience as well i something that i like i've learned from doing this podcast and just talking to a lot of vcs outside of the podcast is that if you the more familiar an idea is to a VC, um, the more people are working on it, which immediately almost exactly means the CAC is going to be higher because there's more people working on it, more competition. And right. when you get a cre- like when you get a, a seemingly crazy idea, it's one of these things where it's like, well, at least the CAC's low, so might as well, like, you know, it's like it, it, it's it, mm-hmm. it's the CAC's low. You don't know? Is the CAC not? Well, tell me, tell, tell me, well, okay, so tell me about that. So this is, I mean, you said you're the only one in the States doing this, um, which is incredible. That I can and see. That, that yeah, can that, see. That, that you can see, which is, which is huge. And when I say low, it means comparatively low in the market. Like if you have like five other companies in the States that are tackling, you're going to be battling on ad prices. Right now they're as low as they, as they will be, even if they're not low. Yeah. But I don't know. I just think that VCs, um, when they hear crazy ideas, like they should jump at it. And I'm like, you were saying, but no, it's, it's, it's like, oh, it's like, oh, like, it, like, you, yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you just said. Do you, <laughs> do you think that in this new climate of everyone working at home, it will be easier to raise money because you don't necessarily even have to like fly out anywhere. You can do it over Zoom. Have you given it thought over fundraising in this COVID period of time? Yes. Yes. And so it's funny you should mention that. So I've actually, this COVID thing has been able to open up a lot of access that necessarily wouldn't have been there. A lot of VCs have gotten on Twitter. They're either bored or they're just letting people know they're still in business and that they're open to at least looking at deals, new deals. Um, I know that in their hierarchy of importance, you know, they're going to concentrate on the portfolio companies first and making sure that their LPs are satisfied before they really start to sink into new deals. Um, But uh, the LPs in themselves have been having a lot of discussion. And so this has been a great way to see what your boss's boss, you know, wants and kind of feed into and you know uh manipulate sounds really negative but manipulate your way into you know (laughs) letting somebody know that you're a good fit for them and that you could help them value increased value for them definitely i i totally agree with that um what what are you hearing on the LP side. I mean, as a founder, like right now, I'm an employee at a company and I'm not the one raising money. So like, I'm not spending as much time thinking about this as I would have if you know, I was a founder, but you are a founder. Um, so you're probably listening more as you were just saying, what are you hearing from LPs from VCs? Are people investing more or less? Is our are, are VCs more worried about the next fund because LPs aren't going to invest? Like, do, can you share anything that you, you're willing to share on that? Yeah. I, uh, obviously, um, as relevant, I've seen a huge uptick in LPs looking for health-associated startups. Uh, so, right, 
anything that might have a, a, a virus affecting virus tracking virus, uh, you know, uh, symptoms reader on your phone, anything of that nature. Um, and I do see people closing deals with various startups and at, at different levels, um, both in seed and series A and things of that nature. Um, the LPs, they're very distinctive. Uh, there are some who were there for the dot-com burst of the 90s, and they understand that although this is a horrible situation, um, one day, whenever that day is, it will end. And they're, they're, you need to take the opportunity to, one, be prepared for that normal normalcy uh, to come back and that take this time to find out what people are doing, who can rehabilitate businesses that have lost. So this is a great opportunity for like us to pivot. Um, so our main uh, customers, the hotels and things of that nature. And so we've recently been pivoting the message of reconstruction. So once they are you know, after Maria, after the Hurricane Maria, we were able to work with a lot of people, help them get some interest and help them attract tourists. So we're looking to find out what we can do for this new batch of businesses. What, what can we do to help them attract business um, and just make use of that of this time? That makes sense. One thing that, I, that I'm intrigued on that you might have more insight on than me is you mentioned that there are some VCs and LPs that are pushing the funding of more scientific or health-related um, startups to help fight what's going on. And I don't know if this is going to sound bad. It's going to sound kind of bad, but like I am putting myself in the shoes of a VC whose bosses yeah. are LPs. And this, um, you know, when you invest in a company, um, you expect ideally like a 10x return within – I mean, like, ideally, like a million X, but like, I, a ten, from what I'm reading, 10X is like good. Like 10X is solid and it's a win. So yeah. I'm going to say 10X, a 10X return within like seven years, seven to 10 years. And yeah. this COVID situation, God, I hope will not last that long. I hope it lasts, you know, two more months, three months, and that's it. So do, do you think the VCs funding these startups that are um, trying to tackle COVID and the coronavirus are doing it more as like almost like charity, not charity, but like knowing they may not make their money back because it's not a typical inv investment, but like it doesn't matter because we're trying to save the fucking world. But like, or is it a, is it an actual investment that they think that they'll make money back on? I don't know. Do you, do you, do you have any insight there? I, I don't have any specific insight. My best educated guesstimate of a response would just would challenge you to, to think about cancer research is a multi-million dollar industry. And it's, you know, uh, the Pink Ribbon, they just recently celebrated 30 or 50 years, some sort of monumental anniversary. Um, and so I would think think from an, an LP's perspective, even if they're fighting COVID today, there's going to be an Ebola uh, 
an Ebola-like thing that happens later or a syphilis-like thing that'll happen later or measles or, you know, it's just going to be a different type of, of the same enemy. So it, even if you're, you don't find a cure for the COVID with the startup now, if you invest now, it's bound to pay off just because. Yeah. It's very, it's very smart. And I I guess because of, I haven't seen too many of these cycles and too many situations like what what we're in now. Um, And I feel like you're like, I feel like you're right though. This is not like the only crisis that we're going to have, you know, this is just a bad one and there'll be other bad ones. And that's what these startups are for. Yeah. 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 Right. (laughs) Right. right, Yeah. That's true. Um, So yeah, less bad. Just but things that require companies to tackle them, which is then these companies need um, funding, um, and exactly. then the VCs need it. I, I just I think the whole ecosystem is so interesting. Uh, was there a point that you kind of looked? I guess it sounds like a year ago when you started when you went through FI uh, and and this other and this other program. But like for me, when I was a founder. I was just heads down selling customers, you know, like just doing what I doing what I was doing. And I really didn't wasn't I wasn't thoughtful about how startups ecosystem truly work until I failed. And then I got some time to like, not be focused on sales all the time. And I just I'm learning a shit ton about how it all works. I'm curious for you, what when was the moment that you even knew LPs existed and that VCs had bosses and LPs kind of have bosses too? like, um, when did you right. learn all this stuff? Uh, it just within the last year, uh, you know, we had done a lot of work in an analog capacity before and had made use of technology in some really great ways. But then this past year, the lean into tech into technology and understanding how the stagecoach is never coming back. So we need to be focused on what is the future. And I think I had that revelation about what is the future? Where is the future? Who is most interested in the future? And that's when I realized, oh, the LPs, like the VCs, they, they kind of get it. But the, you, you got to, again, manipulate, what do they call it? Manage your way up. I think that's a term yeah, you're managing so. your boss. And um, yeah, it, it made me realize like those LPs are really the key holders. They're the they're ones who uh, have the best concept of what the future will be. And I, I haven't really spent much time talking to people about LPs, but if you're an LP, are you pretty much, do you think of yourself as an investor yourself and you're not investing on companies, you're just investing in the firms that you think are going to have good returns? Do you know, I know we're kind of going a little off topic here. I'm, I'm, I'm interested though. Like how does an LP know where to put their money? A, you know, the ASU endowment or the Harvard endowment, like w- way right. bigger than ASUs. And they have a slice dedicated to venture capital. How do they know where to put their money? Uh, like, do you know how that works? Cause I don't really know. Um, no, I don't know specifics, but uh, what I've seen through, te- through television and movies 
and from the context clues of what I'm picking up through Twitter, um, it, you know, I think about the example of Warren Buffett and he's always looking for, yes, the team with a trend that can, the next trend, but the, the team that can adapt to the next trend. Um, and so I would imagine somebody in LP would have that focus that it, it's as much about the person, people running the fund as it is the type of startups that those people will find. Um, I've noticed a lot of founders of color or LPs of color. Um, you know, in some cases, they start a venture capitalist fund with the idea of inclusion. Um, but then those people may not carry on that same spirit of inclusion. Um, and they tend to stick to their, their own comforts of level, uh, level of comforts. Rather. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, really interesting. I feel like I want to like get an LP on it, like a type of LP on here and just like pick their brain and everything. Um, Cause I am, I am, as time goes on, I feel like I'm going to at some point use this podcast to like to become a venture capitalist or like either yeah. I'll start my own fund or I'll join. I don't know. I mean, this is like very far out. I'm really enjoying my, my current job. So like probably when I'm 30 or something, which is a few years out, but like um, at some point, I'm super, I'm, I'm like super into it. Like I love, I love this stuff. Um, and the podcast, I get to almost like fake it. I get to like talk to cool founders, think in my head, like, oh, that's interesting. You know, I don't like that. I like that, et cetera. Obviously I don't have any money, you know, any, any money to, any checks to write, but maybe at some point after some sponsorships. <laughs> you will, you will. Yeah. yeah. Well, cool. Well, um, a couple more questions for you and then we can call it a wrap. So, you're, you know, we're talking about venture capital LPs and all the whole point of that whole system is to fund companies that get really, really, really big and to help the founders bring their vision to light. So my question to you is, what is that vision? What is the, the big vision that you have for your company? If you were to, you know, be given a hundred million dollars or a billion dollars, whatever you needed, what would you, you know, what would you build and how, how big could it get and what would it look like when it gets there? That's an awesome question. Um, to give you some context of where my vision is, uh, Anheuser-Busch reported earning $54 billion in 2018 alone. Uh, but Valor Imports does not have as much overhead as they do. Uh, we're digitally uh, enabled. And so we have that barrier of technology so to help us make less mistakes or we can move faster, move better, move easier. Um, and then we have a younger minded team that is again focused on the future. So we are quick to bring on um, other parties who are recent uh, MBA graduates or uh, people who had uh, experience, long-term experience in the field, but may not have been the highest titled individual, right? They've been overlooked often. Um, and so we have that opportunity to find those rare gems of people 
who have incredible talents and skills, but weren't given the titles that they were at their previous employer. Yeah. No, totally. That's awesome. And I love what you're, what you're building, what you will build and just your mindset. And I think the way that we, I don't remember the exact interaction, but some, the reason why I wanted to have you on is because I like saw some interaction on Twitter that just made me think like, wow, like this, per, this person is a hustler. And I, 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 I kind of <laughs> want to go back and find it, but you just kind of strike me like someone that's just gonna, that's just gonna make it happen. And you already have, and you will continue to. And if I was a VC, I would, I would, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's different. Not everyone is, not everyone's like that. And I don't say, I, like, I don't say that to everyone. I don't say that to like many people, but like you're just, it's just, it was just clear in that interaction on Twitter and it's clear like on, on this podcast, you're just, you know, you're just a hustler. So I wish you the, the best of luck, but in order to make that, that vision of yours happen and, you know, to help raise that luck a little bit more, love to ask you to kind of, Tell the audience, the people listening, what is something that you need help with? What is an ask that you have that the forward-thinking founder community can help yeah. you out with? It, now is the time to be promotional if you want to be. How can we help? Well, thank you. This is great. Uh, so first and foremost, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Uh, support Valor, Valor Imports, even if it's just in following and liking and sharing and subscribing. Um, and if you know some LPs who are interested in, uh, jumping into the reconstruction and helping, uh, the tourist dependent economy boom, um, we are actively proactively preparing for the one day when we go back to, to normal, uh, life. And once travel begins again, we want to be ready and uh, we want to be the first in line. So if you know somebody who is looking for, for a blessing to come out of this really horrible situation that we're currently in, um, definitely send them to me or contact me at Valor Imports at B. Sinclair at ValorImports.com. All right. Well, Thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. And best of luck moving forward. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Okay. Thank you everyone for tuning into that episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. And luckily there's another one coming up real soon. But before then, I have a couple things to tell you. First, if you're listening to this and you think you're working on something cool or you think you're smart, hit me up on Twitter. I am at Matt underscore Sherman. And that is Matt with one T. So hit me up, shoot me a DM, and I'm happy to check out what you're working on and maybe we can get you on the pod. But at the very least, I'm happy to give you feedback on your product or project or startup. Lastly, if you can please rate this podcast in the iTunes store, that would be awesome. I'm trying to get up in the rankings so more people can discover these awesome founders. And the only way to do that, or one of the ways to do that, is growing with rankings. So if you like what you're listening to, please just go onto the iTunes store, give it five stars or four, you know, or three. I'm not going to tell you what to give, but just tell whatever I deserve, you should rate that. With that, I'm signing off. See you next time. Bye.